Welcome to another episode of Gilded Age. In this episode, the Gilded Boys discuss just how fucked our planet really is. We don't run ads. Instead, we rely entirely on your support to make this podcast possible. Please visit patreon.com slash gildedage to become a subscriber at either $2, $5, or $9 per month. We've recently added a new perk for all tiers, access to our Slack channel, where you can interact with us and other supporters like you. Please visit patreon.com slash gildedage and give us all of your money. study just confirmed that it was indeed an asteroid 66 million years ago that brought an end to the uh, Cretaceous and eradicated the dinosaurs. Now, I know everybody, I mean, if you grew up in the 90s, that was basically the, the understanding, right? Like, oh, of course, of course it was a, you know, an asteroid. How could it, how, how could anybody think, think otherwise? But for a long time, that wasn't like common knowledge. Uh, that that only came about really in the 80s. It was a theory suggested by Luis and Walter Alvarez. Uh, and it was dismissed by the New York Times at the time, uh, which which basically the New York Times editorial board put out like an, an article that basically told them to stay in their lane. Uh, Luis was an astrophysicist. So they're like, you know, leave, leave the paleontology to the paleontologists, you crazy cats. Um, and the, the theory actually came about because, uh, because the Alvarez's noticed that there was a layer of iridium, uh, in the earth right above the layer that represents the Cretaceous period, obviously like, like kind of like a tree, how each ring represents a a year, like in the earth, every layer represents like an, an era and right above the Cretaceous is this layer of like clay and um and iridium that's got a lot of iridium in it now irid- what is what is iridium it's an element that is not very common on earth but it mm. is common in asteroids huh. and so they from that they started to speculate that like oh maybe you know maybe there was a, a an asteroid maybe there was a big asteroid but then then it took them years to figure out like well where's the crater you know where where is the crater and they found it near Chichilub, uh in in, in mexico in the Gulf of Mexico, there's this big underwater um, crater that, that was rediscovered, I guess, by an oil company. And God around, bless the oil companies. Yeah, and and around Psych. Yeah. <laughs> and around around the crater, there's um, there's a lot of shocked quartz near the, where this iridium layer is is exposed, and that shows, you know, that's uh, when an asteroid hits. And there's a big explosion or and there's a nuclear blast or something. There's like a, a lot of shock quartz. It just happens. Uh, it's basically like glass. It turns everything to, to glass. And uh, so from that, they, they speculated, okay, we we think we know what happened. And, 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 and above that layer, there are no more dinosaurs. Um, or are there? <laughs> so this is, this is really what inspired this episode, right? Uh, dinosaurs. Birds. Hell yeah. 
are dinosaurs. Walker has been collecting some very immaculate and elaborate uh, dinosaur figurines. Yes. They're not the kind you played with when you were a kid. No, I've got I've gone very very into very into this. Okay, Birds. guys, what's your who's what's your favorite dinosaur? We have to go around the room here. <laughs> uh, well, I I I don't think I have a favorite dinosaur, but I do. Oh come on! I, I, I don't. I know it's a cop out. I, I don't think I have one. When I was a kid, it was Triceratops. Uh, dude, that that is my favorite dinosaur. That's don't, your don't favorite be dinosaur. Stealing. Yeah, that's fine, man. You can't you can't have that. Fa- you have to have a different favorite. <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. Th- so, those are the rules. All right, so basically, look, all non. No, we, we talk about the, the asteroids, like, oh, they wiped out the dinosaurs. But it's not really accurate. It wiped out non avian dinosaurs. But avian dinosaurs lived on and are now modern day birds. So when we talk about birds, you know, we're like, we, th- we think of them sort of as descendants uh, and not, not true dinosaurs. They are descended from them, but they are actually dinosaurs. Wait, wait, wait. Seriously? Yeah, for real. They're That's dinosaurs. amazing. Why are it they is. so much smaller? I guess uh, it was if you were a gigantic bird, it was you were, could be killed more easily or identified by prey. I, or that is we could. That's a topic to go uh, next. Week I think it, I think it had more to do with the meteor, oh. the shroud of ash that followed the Earth following its impact for centuries. If you were small uh, and didn't require your metabolism required less input than. I think you could you 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 could oh. scramble by. So this meteor struck in in the present day Gulf of Mexico. How how big was it? It was about fifty miles in diameter. Fifty uh, miles in diameter. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a. I mean, this was a this was a very large asteroid that hit the Earth, uh, and and it wiped out seventy five percent of all life on Earth. Word. So, so that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, right? So that's, and, 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 but, but here's the thing. Right now, we're in the midst of another extinction. Uh, and we, we could very well wipe out the last of the dinosaurs. So birds are dinosaurs and we are putting them in danger. And look at, look at, if you really want to, want to see like a dinosaur bird, look up a cassowary. It's got like the the crest on its head. It's got a waddle. It looks like a it looks like a raptor. Uh, I like the spoonbills. Oh yeah, yep, the, yep. the the, uh, the roseated spoonbill in particular. The roseated. Holy spoon- shit, man! They're crazy looking. They are crazy looking birds. Right? They're crazy. And now, oh, and, and also look up a shoebill stork. Oh my god, they're bright colors. The cassowary, blue and red, like kind of head and neck. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's stunning. It's it's absolutely stunning. Oh um, shit! No, dude. When you look at, oh my god, you, you look at the face of this cassowary and it, it looks like a dinosaur. It really does. It does. It looks like a dinosaur. Holy and shit! Here's the thing, though. The populations of cassowaries are decreasing. They're a vulnerable species, and they're not they're they're not the only species of bird that is that is vulnerable right now. We, in fact, uh. We are looking at a sixth of all bird species that are that are at risk of extinction. So we're going to finish the work that the meteor was unable to finish. Right. We're like right. we're like George Bush Jr. 
<laughs> yeah, but no, but but <laughs> right, you know, gets it on, baby. But no, it's it's like it's worse than that though, because like we didn't exist when that meteor hit, but we're gonna wipe ourselves out too. So it's it's like a double whammy. You gotta you know that's you gotta give some respect to us for that. Like that's impressive. I mean, well, yeah, and we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So yeah, basically, what I'm saying is that birds are dinosaurs, and in fact, when they reverse they reverse a chicken embryo. And reverse engineered a chicken embryo to bring out dormant uh, genes, and they were able to grow like a velociraptor snout, pretty like with uh, with the teeth and everything and a tail. Yeah, no, it's what? it's crazy. Birds are just a, mo- a more evolved version of what dinosaurs used to be. But how does a but but a bird? Okay, so you're saying a velociraptor was a predecessor to modern day birds, yeah. even though it was a yeah, land so, animal. Uh, wow. uh, birds are actually, and birds are actually very related to crocodiles as well, as they share this common, um, this common ancestor. But they are effectively an avian species of dinosaur that that is continued and branched off. And they had pretty tiny brains, right? Dinosaurs did not have very big brains. They did not have a genius brain. No, 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 no. Um, no, no dinosaur TED Talks. No dinosaur TED Talks. Uh, Think fluencers. Yeah, but I bet you they were more stable than some of our geniuses today. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Gilded Age, the podcast where we discuss how and why we're fucked. As always, I'm Walker Bragman. I'm Alex Koch. I'm Mark Colangelo. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about climate change. Much of today's episode is based on three books. Uh, The first is Learning to Die in in the Anthropocene, uh, Reflections on the End of Civilization by author Roy Scranton. Um, Also, The Sixth Extinction by Elizabeth Colbert. And The Uninhabitable Earth by David Wallace Wells from 2019. Uh, And we'd like to encourage our listeners to to purchase these really excellent uh, and harrowing books. Uh, And we're going to put the links to those books in our description. So let's talk about some predictions. Uh, Most people don't know just how bad climate change is. Uh, But a good good indication of how bad it could be uh, comes from Director of National Intelligence, former Director of National Intelligence, James Clapper, in 2013. Clapper said that extreme weather events floods, droughts, heat waves, will increasingly disrupt food and energy markets, exacerbating state weakness, forcing human migrations, and triggering riots, civil disobedience, and vandalism. Compared to what what the science is telling us now, that may be conservative. Climatologists now predict that we will have four degrees of warming by 2100. That's according to the United Nations if we continue uh, business as usual as we are today. Are we talking about Fahrenheit or Celsius? Celsius. So that's like a, that's a lot more Fahrenheit degrees. <laughs> yes, it's a lot more Fahrenheit <laughs> degrees. That's like a thousand degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> yes, a thousand degrees. <laughs> no, but like, I don't know the damn conversion, you know, multiple, <laughs> but it's like, that's like 10 or 12 degrees, right? Like that's a lot. It, it is very significant. But, but this is, but four degrees is business as usual. It's unpredictable because the the actual warming depends on us. We could easily exceed four degrees. We could have five degrees or more. Some estimates say seven degrees within 90 years. Some say eight degrees. 
humans could uh, wouldn't be able to live at the equator. The oceans could be two hundred feet higher. I mean, this is there's a lot of shit that that can happen between then uh, between now and then. You know what was really fascinating to me, and and this was made clear in Scranton's Learning to Die in the Anthropocene, uh, as well as a lot of the other research that you pulled, Walker, is that this is a national security issue. And it's been framed as such by members of the Defense Department. Now, usually when it comes to issues of national security, we have little issue rallying the political will and energy to deal with them. Uh, in fact, if anything, we're overzealous when it comes to you know dealing with threats to our national security. But that's just not the case when it comes to global warming. Because it's slow. Because. Well, and because capital is involved, and capital wants to ignore climate change. We have a fossil fuel-driven economy, and thus um, reality should not impact that, right? Right. I mean, of course. Of course. Who cares about the science and data and, and fucking you know, fact and reality? No, it's, it's all about capital. So I want to be clear, though, when we talk about degrees of warming, we're talking about degrees of warming relative to pre-industrial levels. At 1.5 degrees of warming, which could happen as soon as 2040, uh, 150 million more people will die every year from air pollution. Already today, 7 million people die from air pollution annually. Jesus. Seven million. That is a holocaust every year. Wow. At two degrees of warming, the ice sheets begin to collapse. There are 400 million more who suffer from water scarcity. Major cities at the equator become unlivable. And even in the, in the north, heat waves kill thousands more in the summer. And that's, that's really our best case scenario. Uh, according to scientists today, two degrees is really our best scenario which by the way and the yeah we're not because 1.5 is like the sort of global target that's that, the target but but it seems like it's unlikely that that's even going to yes. happen right? and the kyoto protocol said that two degrees of warming is apocalyptic that was their like disaster scenario is if we get two degrees sounds relatively apocalyptic to me the way you're you're, you're describing but it. that's but now that's sort of baked in but even if we oh, right right yeah so okay even if we we fall short of that two degree mark by 2100, which seems very unlikely, our atmosphere will have as much carbon as existed 16 million years ago. And the coastline on the, the East Coast could be as far west as I-95. And that's irreversible shit. Wow. At three degrees of warming, Southern Europe becomes... Now, I want to I wanna just give a shout out here. This is from David Wallace Wells' uh, uninhabitable, uninhabitable Earth. And it's a fantastic book, and you should all... You should all read it. Uh, but at three degrees of warming, Southern Europe is in permanent drought. The average drought in Central America is 19 months longer. In the Caribbean, it's 20 month, 21 months longer. In North Africa, it's 60 months longer. And areas burned by wildfires uh, double in the Mediterranean. 60, a 60 month drought? That's like five years. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. And good. And uh, yeah, that's the average. What? That's the average, and 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 uh, area burned by wildfire sextuple or more. So we're in talking the US. about twenty. We're talking about around twenty one hundred. Yes, maybe. Yeah, at three but, at three degrees of warming, and now four degrees, which is what they're predicting. There are eight million more cases of dengue fever each year in Latin America, uh, and close to annual global food crises. This is the craziest part. Like, just 
reading that book and reading like that this is that this is what scientists are predicting we're going to get to is nuts well dude listen uh what was it a squirrel just got the bubonic fucking plague yeah now think about all the all the with all the ice caps melting and stuff like what kind of plagues are going to be like reintroduced to our world well i mean think and even just the covid which is like all um epidemiologists and virologists will tell you that this is just like a warm-up for the worst case scenario like the things that nature can throw us throw at us even if we're not begging for them which we are by just pouring gasoline on the fire that is climate change the impacts that that can have and i one one of the one of the other um striking things diving into this was how how lucky um just the gift of civilization and humanity was like we're we're here because we we happen to fall into a um a, a, a fortunate climatological period right everything had to go right for this to exist and now the conditions that led to our rise no longer exist that's the reality and and they and they won't exist uh, they're they're gone um so now we have to adapt uh, so to continue on about four degrees, uh, corn yields in the U S will drop by half, uh, by 2100 at four degrees. And at, by 2100, our population is going to require twice as much food as it does now. So we are going to have twice as many mouths to feed and half the food to do it. Okay. I wonder, yeah, I mean, look, it's apocalyptic regardless, but I wonder if we're really going to be doubling our population if so many people are dying in the first place. Well, right. So this is why this is difficult. Like, these are just, these are scenarios that could happen. Um, we don't know if they will because everything depends on us. Um, but four degrees is a nightmare. Uh, four degrees means 60-fold flood damage um, in the UK and 20 fold in India. Um, and in certain places around the globe, six climate disasters could strike simultaneously. Globally damage from climate disasters could surpass $600 trillion, which is more than, it's more than twice the wealth that we have today in the world. $600 trillion. And uh, again, uh, to reiterate the response to this, um, by civilization and by, you know, the geopolitical forces at work today. I mean, it's going to be so destabilizing and we, we can't, we've proven ourselves unable to even deal with the most minor disruptions. Yep. So because of our again, efficient yeah, economy. It, it's, it's, it's feedback loops, like the wars that are going to result from the famines that are happening in different countries and the resource rich countries and then the resource resource poor countries it's yep. uh look we could see we could see as many as 200 million climate refugees by 2050 according to the un a billion or more is the highest that, i mean that sounds like a low estimate honestly. a billion or more yeah. are the high estimates but but okay. 200 million that is that is more than half of the population of the united states right. um and and, wow. and and you want you know mark i'm glad you brought up feedback loops because uh I, I would like to talk about about what what that is. So as the amount of carbon in the atmosphere grows, uh, the uh, the oceans warm because of the greenhouse effect. That warming kills off the coral reefs. We're already seeing that today. Twenty nine percent 
of the Great Barrier Reef in Australia, which is the largest, largest structure created by living organisms on this planet, uh, died in 2016. And so as the coral reefs die, the ecosystems that they foster collapse. And that reduces the amount of carbon absorbed by the oceans, which increases global temperatures even more, which hastens the melting of the Arctic sea ice and the permafrost, which releases carbon and methane and increases global temperatures even more. And as global temperatures increase and as the ice melts, sea levels rise. And as the ice melts, there's less, there's less uh, sunlight being reflected back into space, so even more, even more uh, warming. So our, our fate essentially could be sealed by this series of species-ending feedback loops. Right, but what, what, what terrified me the most about, in, in, in Roy Scranton's Anthropocene book, was that there's just enormous amounts of methane that's trapped underneath a lot of these ice caps and glaciers. And like when that, when that melts, we could have a, a giant injection, a very almost immediate injection of a ton of methane, which is, by the way, a much more powerful greenhouse gas than carbon. Yes. Um, and that, that, that freaks the hell out of me. But it is, it, it may, that's, uh, scientists are less worried about the methane belch than they are about the albedo effect, which is the loss of ice, meaning less reflected light back into space. And more warming. Oh, okay. Um, so that'll contribute to more warming. Right. Okay. So the, the, the methane belch might not happen um, the way that it, it, like it might not be one big belch. It might, it might come, a lot of it might come out as carbon instead of methane, uh, which is, which is bad, but it's not that, it's not as bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's still, it, look, it's still, I don't, I don't want to downplay the, the risk because we don't know. And it, it could, it could lead to runaway climate change. Um, Geophysicist David Archer uh, said that the potential for planetary devastation posed by the methane hydrate reservoir seems comparable to the destructive potential from a nuclear winter or from a comet or asteroid impact. I mean, that's that's crazy. That's that is well, insane. And, and and that's that's why, I mean, the comet impact tying back to the beginning of this episode. That was what the fifth great extinction, right? And now we're in the sixth. Now we're in the sixth, according to a lot of um, scientists. And it's and it is the it is the result of, of human activity. I mean, everything we do warms the planet. Fuck, man! Even the internet accounts for ten percent of the world's electricity. That our ecosystem relies on on coal. Our modern civilization relies on coal. It relies on natural gas and oil. And all of these energy sources uh, warm the planet. Natural gas uh, extraction releases methane into the atmosphere. It's very dangerous, <laughs> not good. Um, but like every global food production, even is a third of all emissions. Wow. Yeah, and that's that's an important point from the from Scranton's book is that um, yes, uh, naturally over many many thousands of years. Um, millions of years rather uh the the planet earth has a history of of drastic uh climate change um but what we're doing because of the industrial revolution and, and beyond in the last couple hundred years we are massively uh making that we are making that process way way more rapid than it's ever uh, been in, in our history and that's nothing that's never happened on this planet before because we're the only industrialized society that's ever yeah. lived uh to our knowledge so like 
we are artificially hastening the next great transformation of climate in, the, in this planet. Yeah. And you want to know something crazy? This has happened in like a generation. Like half, half of the carbon, more than half of the carbon that's in the atmosphere from burning fossil fuels has happened in the last three decades. Three decades, 30 years. Since World War II, it's 85%. It took one single generation to bring the planet to the brink of collapse, which I guess gets me to the point of this episode. It's the boomer. No. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the millennials. It's all their fault. It's all the avocado farming. Yeah, I'm sure we were major en- energy consumers when we were, you know, one or two years old. Yeah. But the, in, there is a third more carbon in the atmosphere now than perhaps there has been in as long as 15 million years. And this has had observable effects. I mean, you know, people talk about climate change in hypotheticals um, and what could happen. So let's talk about what what is happening. Um, glacial ice in Alaska is melting at a rate that's 10 to 100 times faster than previously thought. Uh, the uneven distribution of warming uh, is it, it really is taking its toll on the on the poles. The Greenland and West Antarctic ice sheets uh, are more vulnerable to melting than anticipated. The latter is past the tipping point of collapse. Um, more than double the, it's more than doubled its rate of loss in the last five years, uh, as of 2019, according to, according to uh, Wallace Wells' book. In Greenland, uh, the ice sheet loses a billion tons of ice in a day. It could, and and if each if each go down, they could they could raise. Uh, Sea levels by ten to twenty feet. Each of them, each of those, each of those ice sheets. Uh, the two there are two glaciers in the east Ant- um, two glaciers in the East Antarctic ice, uh, losing eighteen billion tons of ice each year. That's an, and as as Wallace Wells points out, that's enough to cover New Jersey in three feet of ice. And if both of those go, it, it could be catastrophic. And we could we could eventually see water. Uh, sea levels rise by 200 feet. And I think it, it drives home the same point that um, a lot of people see this like a dial slowly being turned up, but it's not like that. There there are these huge tipping points yep. that once once we cross that precipice, um, there, if there is anything that we can do now, there won't be at that point. Yep. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, the, just even thinking about this is, is harrowing. It's like, so you, you know, uh, one thing that's happening now is, is hotter temperatures are causing more extreme weather events, you know, like hurricanes, uh, cyclones, uh, tsunamis. These are these. So not only does, does a slightly hotter temperature, uh, make the storms more powerful, but it makes their, makes them, uh, pick up speed more quickly. So like, this is why like Texas and these these southern Gulf states are being hit kind of off guard by hurricanes lately. It's because like they turn from a category one to a category five very quickly, quicker than meteorologists are used to. And so imagine uh, a lot more water and a lot more heat. And we've got these tropical storms that are just coming out of nowhere and are more powerful and are quickened more quickly. Like that is that is just terrifying. Yeah. To your point, Alex, we've had we've had. uh since since 2015, 20, uh, 2017's Hurricane Harvey was the third 500 year flood to hit Houston since 2015. So in two years, they've had they had three 500 year floods. And that means like it's it's the biggest flood in 500 years. Or what, what's what does that mean? 
it's it, yeah that there it's well it's no it's a flood that's only supposed to happen on that scale in like 500 right. years and, yeah, and they had right. three of them in two years in in total in the u.s since 2010 to 2010 to 2019 there were 24 of those 500 year rain events yeah honestly you know these really uh sparse rural northern upper midwestern states like north dakota like that's where everybody should be moving. Like there, it's going to population is going to be weird. It's going to change a lot. Yeah, but but those states aren't safe either because we're experiencing a fifty-fold increase in the number of dangerous heat waves since nineteen eighty. But but no, and none of this happens in a vacuum. That's that to me is um, the important thing to remember. Yep. Um, it's it's not the weather that's going to kill you necessarily unless you get drowned in a flood, which maybe a lot of people will. It is the it's how destabilizing these things are to uh, to civilization, to the to countries, to the political structures. To I mean, imagine just the effects of like we look at you know, small mass migrations that are happening now and how destabilizing those things are to to um to Europe and everything that comes up when well, when it comes when a political issue happen, and you got your it becomes your a right wing like, nationalist we're just, fucks. We're, we're not we're not equipped. Like that that can something on this scale can translate so quickly into, you know, a war that will annihilate the planet even quicker than look at look at how the United States is, is handle or attempting or not even attempting to handle the COVID nineteen crisis. Like we basically were flattening our curve, and then, and then like we just got this wave, and so now we're our our rate of of increase in, in infections is is more than that of India, which is uh, which is a much larger country, and also was hit much later by COVID than we were. Like we don't have the I mean, I'm talking about the U S. specifically, like. We are, we have this, and who knows what's going to be like in 20 years or 30 years, but like we have this system that's not set up to deliver benefits to people very rapidly or uh, efficiently. And we're seeing this now. And obviously we have, we don't have universal health care, which is a huge issue too. But I mean, just seeing how poorly uh, compared to literally every other Western country and probably every other, literally every other country in the world, how poorly we are dealing with COVID. Um, just imagine us facing something much bigger right so and 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 we are i mean it's not just it's not just weather events that we're that we're dealing with uh it's 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 fires it's wildfires because these the heat waves that are occurring like the five five warmest summers in europe since 1500 occurred between 2002 and 2019 the 2003 european heat wave killed 35,000 people and its temperatures are going to be normal in the future. That's that's going to be the norm, what, what that heat wave was. Uh, and this is causing wildfires to burn longer and with greater intensity. And we're seeing that in Australia. We're seeing it in the Amazon. We're seeing it in California. We're seeing an expansion of arid regions. The, uh, the, the boundary that separates the Midwest from the American West, uh, it, it was along the 100th meridian. And it separated what was farmland uh, in the Midwest from the arid, arid true west. Well, that's moved eastward by 140 miles. It's almost to the 98th parallel, um, drying up all the farmland along the way. And the Sahara has expanded by 10%. Uh, imagine what happens when that moves a, th- a thousand miles eastward and our America's grain belt is no longer there. Right. And because... Crops growing right now are growing at ideal temperatures. We're already at the ideal temperatures 
at the, in the crop belt to, to, to produce what we produce. And so the warming is going to make it, is going to, is going to decrease yields. Uh, Apparently, um, Wells, Wells book points out that, uh, every degree of warming is a 10% decrease in, in the crop yield. And, and, and what happens when we start looking at other countries that have arid, um, fertile farmland and, and, uh, they start looking like they need some, you know, freedom. <laughs> oh, well, right. It's going it, to, it will foster, it will foster war. Uh, you know, it, it, look, it, it takes eight pounds of grain to produce one pound of hamburger meat. Like if we can't produce, not being able to produce the, you know, the cereal crops that we, that we rely on every year, um, we lose much more than that. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your casts, please consider becoming a paid subscriber on Patreon. For five bucks a month, you'll get access to premium episodes, which will often be interviews with politicians, candidates, reporters, authors, and professors. So, if you can, please pitch in at patreoncom Gildedage. Well, it's just incredible, like uh, that. You know, basically, AOC proposes the Green New Deal. And the whole right wing is up in arms about, oh, we can't eat hamburgers anymore. Well, and they take all these fucking photos and post them on Instagram where they're at McDonald's or some other fake meat place. And it's like, dude, if, if you like did any reading, like, you would immediately become a vegetarian. Like, or you should be. Like, think about the steaks here, man. Right. No, when, when we look, it's, it's interesting to look at things from the perspective of what will people um, two generations from us from now look back on us and say, right, <laughs> they were what 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 the hell were they thinking? Like we look back, at, you know, a hundred years ago, and we say they were sending kids up chimneys and and like <laughs> kids out of school to put them in the factories to get their arms cut off. What the hell were they thinking? It's obvious right now that people a hundred years from now will be looking back on us and being like. They were eating animals. What the fuck were they thinking? And they were they were ripping all of this CO two out of the damn earth and putting it into the atmosphere. What? Yeah. Why? They didn't even have to. The presidential nominee from the Liberal Party is advocating for expanding natural gas operations. Are you fucking kidding me? And we have the science now. That's that's the the tragic thing is we have all the science. What we've been talking about so far. Uh, we know this. We know what is inevitable, and we're just doing it. We're just still doing it. Right, right. And look, we're seeing, we're seeing, we're seeing uh, with rising sea levels. We're seeing increased flooding. We're seeing uh, the erosion rate in the U.S. is ten times the natural replenishment rate. We're seeing soil that, like, so look as the crop belts move poleward because of rising temperatures. Like that soil doesn't just suddenly become fertile it has to become fertile over years it takes years for that to happen like we have our our ideal climate right now or as ideal as it's going to be it's only going to get less ideal from here and we're looking at we're looking at a world where by 2050 as many as 150 million in the developing world will be at risk of nutrient deficiencies because they depend on they depend on crops, not animal meat. In addition to that, uh, it, the the disappearance of coral reefs is really problematic 
because as many as 500 million people rely on that on those reefs for their sources of food and income. So, so let's talk about let's talk about extinctions a little bit because because that's I mean that's really I think that's the real the real tragic part of, of all of this is that in, in addition to destroying ourselves, we're destroying just countless species of animals that that were here before us that uh, hopefully that you would hope would, would be able to continue. Um, so we have had five extinctions. We're, we're making we're making species go extinct that we didn't even catalog yet. Right. <laughs> you're 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 absolutely right. think about that we've had and we've look earth has had five extinctions before that before this uh 450 million years ago 86 percent of all species died off 70 million years after that 75 percent of all species died off 125 million years after that 96 percent 50 million years after that 80 percent 135 million years after that 75 percent and now we're in this next extinction Wait, so do you think the dinosaur slash birds are going to, they're going to outlive us again? Like they're, they're just going to keep persisting through all the different, you know, fucking catastrophic events of, of planet earth. Well, that's, that's, that's the, I mean, that would be the hope, right? That we don't wipe out the last of It'll the be termites and termites and birds. Right? Well, I just, I, I imagine 70 million years from now, a bunch of birds in a classroom, they finally evolved, you know, higher brains trying oh, to, trying to make sense of what, what made the humans go extinct and, <laughs> and some uh, super genius birds like they did it to themselves man look like we found records they were digging up all, for some reason they were digging up all the co2 out of the uh, out of the ground and shooting it into the atmosphere but conversely what if like all history is erased and like they do the same shit we did like history just repeats itself again they have a whole industrial revolution. They do all that shit. Well, they'll have know. the plasticine layer. They'll have the plasticine layer in the earth to to know to know us by. That that well, that's the, supposed to be the only thing that's going to survive humanity is a, is the plasticine layer in the earth. What does the plasticine mean? It means that it's going to have plastic. Oh, a bunch a of plastics. Layer of plastic yeah. in the earth, which is artificial, so they'll know that it's right. They'll be like, "Where did this come from?" Oh, well, clearly a civilization was wiped yeah. out. Okay. Well, yeah, they'll like molecularly date it to. Like the, the dinosaurs, basically, because that's where the plastics came from and all the oil came from originally. However, you know, bird bird brains are still bird brains. It's been a long fucking time. They still have tiny little bird brains. <laughs> so something's got to change well, <laughs> for them to get big brains. So so here's, here's the thing. Just getting us back to extinctions. Every single one of those great extinctions, except for the one that wiped out the dinosaurs, was caused by accelerated climate change. Every single one. I mean, that was, and that was natural climate change. Yeah. It wasn't human-induced climate change. 250 million years ago, carbon dioxide warmed the planet by 5 degrees Celsius, and that triggered the release of methane and ended with just a sliver, as, as Wallace Wells points out, just ended with a sliver of life on Earth uh, left. And we're adding carbon to the atmosphere at a rate that's 10 times faster than that. The background extinction rate for amphibians, to give you to give you an idea, uh, Colbert's book, uh, The Sixth Extinction, focuses on on amphibians, um, or it starts out with amphibians. The background extinction rate, which is the normal natural extinction rate for amphibians, which are extremely resilient, uh, is every thousand years or so we'll see a species of amphibian die off. Uh, amphibians predate the dinosaurs. 
Um, and the odds, so the odds of us encountering an amphibian species going extinct should be like nothing. We should not, we shouldn't see that in our lifetimes. The odds are very much against it. And yet, uh, the extinction rate for amphibians could be 45,000 times higher than the background extinction rate. Right now, uh, right now we're seeing, we're, we're seeing 2,000 amphibian species in, in danger of extinction. And a report in 2019 from the UN confirmed that 40% of amphibian species are threatened by human activity. Um, so to run down the, 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 the list of, of things that are, that are under, under siege, it's, uh, it's one third of reef building corals. It's one third of freshwater mollusks. Now, mind you, these are statistics from 2014, so it's probably worse today. Uh, one third of reef building corals, one third of freshwater mollusks, one third of sharks and rays, one quarter of all mammals, one fifth of all reptiles, and one sixth of all birds. So the dinosaurs are doing better than all of us. They're, they're scrappy creatures. They they are scrap they are scrappy scrappy creatures, but you know they're at risk. And so the reefs are. It's a really. I'm going to go back to this. It's a really big deal because 25 percent of all marine species are found in or around coral reefs. It rivals the biodiversity of tropical rainforests. Uh, 89. To 90, 80% to 90% of corals in Florida are dead already. In the last 30 years, we've lost 50% of the world's corals. Bleaching began in the 1980s. Bleaching happens, by the way, it's an immunoresponse by, uh, by the coral to the rising uh, water temperature around it. It basically is like trying to, to cool off, and so that's what causes the, um, the bleaching. To ask a selfish question as a human being... Um, what is the effect on us if, you know, half or more of the species that, you know, survive uh, due to the coral reefs uh, are wiped out because the coral reefs are wiped out? Well, five, I, I mentioned earlier that the reefs are the source of food and income for 500 million people worldwide. Yes, right. So that's that's one. And and as, as the reefs die off, it's less carbon absorbed by the oceans. And, and also some anti-cancer drugs come from the coral reefs. And there's so really? much, yeah, there's so much potential that we haven't even tapped yet on, in terms of like medicine. There are, I mean, it, it, it is really sad. You hear this about the rainforest as well as the coral reefs. Like there, there are all these unique compounds generated in, in these biological organisms that we, we have not uh, in, in, investigated yet that we're destroying before we find them out. I mean, penicillin came from a fungus. A lot of, a lot of the drugs, the miracle drugs that we have today were synthesized by natural processes. We are a we remarkably genocidal species. Yeah, we, we are. It's, it's just, I mean, because we talk about us, 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 like we're we're going to die off and stuff, but it's like, holy shit, we're killing everything on this goddamn planet. It's just the, the like the, the metaphorical weight of the coral reefs dying strikes me harder than, than um, you know, a lot of the other, maybe even arguably, um, more pernicious effects of what we're doing to the planet. Just like th these beautiful, colorful, vibrant, thriving with yeah. life, um, undersea forests just turn to bone white skeletons. Yep. And, and, and the, the coral literally dissolves the, the flesh of the coral dissolves. Cause the, the, the hard part that we see, that's the skeleton. That's what it creates. But the actual like living part of the coral is around that. Um, 
and it's and and we're killing it off. Uh, it's it's really it's really tragic. And coral, by the way, is also a great breakwater. Like if you look at the Great Barrier Reef, that's a breakwater, a better one that against cyclones than what man can create. So we're really we we do not have a symbiotic relationship with. Uh, the, the world around us. And, and that's that the problem is, is you realize problem. when you look into this, as you know, like all the systems work together. And when you break that sort of cohesion or whatever, then everything starts to topple. Right. And that seems to be what's happening. According to a 2019 report from the UN, between 500,000 and 1 million plant and animal species face imminent extinction. At least 10% of insect species and more than 33% of all marine mammals and reef-forming corals are threatened. That's what it found. You know, we this has been human history, too. Like, we wiped out the great auk. We wiped out the dodo bird. We even wiped out the fucking mastodons 13,000 years ago. Like, we do not have a symbiotic relationship with the planet. And the worst part about this, the, the worst part, is that we've done this to ourselves knowingly in 1895 that's when we first uh that's when we first started predicting the greenhouse uh effect svante arrhenius a swedish scientist came up with the idea that burning coal increases global temperatures by the 50s and 60s uh we uh david keel charles david keeling gave us the keeling curve which showed uh clearly that atmospheric co2 was increasing and by the late 80s we have a consensus and of course, the fucking fossil fuel companies knew about climate change. Uh, in 1988, James Hansen testified before the U.S. Senate uh, that the Earth was definitely warming and was caused by a buildup of artificial gases in the atmosphere. Uh, that same year, the um, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is founded. In 1992, the U.N. This is all outlined, by the way, in uh, Roy Scranton's book. In 1992, the U.N. Framework on on climate change uh, is created. Every member nation signs on, uh, but there are no, there's no enforcement mechanism and no standards. Uh, there's a 35% increase in greenhouse gases since, since, uh, since 1990. Um, Scranton points out, which, which we, we mentioned earlier, maybe we can just cut that line. Um, in 1997, there's the Kyoto protocol, which warned that two degrees is catastrophic which is two degrees is, of course, now inevitable. And in 2016, we get the Paris Climate Agreement, which says two degrees is the global goal. <laughs> so we went from catastrophe, catastrophic, to global goal in 19 years. Um, and, and the IPCC now says, the last report, the Inter Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, now says that even if we implement the, the Paris Accords, even if every country implements the Paris Accords, we'll still get three degrees of warming. And as of 2018, no nation was on track to meet their, their Paris goals. So it seems very likely that we will wipe out coral. It seems very likely that, and this is the point of Roy Scranton's book, it seems very likely that we will have runaway climate change. The, that, that because global decarbonization, is, he says, is irreconcilable with global capitalism. And without a replacement energy, we turn off, you know, we turn off 80% of our power and that's a massive depression, global depression. Uh, with a replacement, 
we still have long-term economic austerity. This is what he argues. And it extends our recession indefinitely. And nobody's going to do that. Um, the IPCC 2014 report said 0.06% contraction of the global economy would be required to decarbonize. Um, but that's speculative. Uh, the, the report relies on carbon capture being developed, which carbon capture is not a reality today in any meaningful way. Because carbon is, there's a lot of carbon in the atmosphere, but it's still only in parts per million. So it's very difficult to extract it uh, and scale any technology to, to extract it from the atmosphere. Now, of course, Alex, I'm sure you know that fossil fuel companies are pushing for carbon capture because they don't want to change how they operate. Yeah, they don't have to do anything. It's a magic fix. Oh, we can just keep doing our thing, making our billions of dollars. And oh, yeah, science is going to fix it. And we subsidize those fossil fuel companies to the tune of $5 trillion every year. That's the, they get subsidized five trillion dollars every year, and we're seeing that happen right now with the, with with, with uh, the United States uh, COVID nineteen bailouts. I mean, they're they're giving tons of subsidies to the fossil fuel industry so they can keep ruining the planet. Yep, but but it's not just them. We are doing it to ourselves as well. Mining Bitcoin takes more energy. This is <laughs> Wells points this out, and it's it's an amazing statistic. Mining Bitcoin requires more, takes up more energy than all the world's solar panels combined produce. I mean, I, I, I'm guessing it's different now that this was a few years back, but that's this still... Was, that was a year ago. That was 2019. Oh, that, that was in the 2019. That was in okay. 2019. So, yeah, well, so Bitcoin, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's the, it's the currency of the future. Crypto is the currency of the future. No, fuck that. Like, Bitcoin is killing the planet. And what is so... Uh, extraordinarily frustrating um just bringing this back into our current political realities is that the debate about global warming right now is happening on the level of you know global warming real or hoax and what are you know what everything we've discussed today points to is that yeah there is a ton of uh debate and thought and discussion that needs to happen around global warming and how we respond to it. But what does not need to be debated is you know, the fact that it's real. Uh, all, you know, every, you know, second and every little amount of energy that we spend, uh, just trying to debate, you know, the existence of global warming is just, is just wasted time and opportunity. Right. Well, well, more than that, like even in even with America's liberal party, even with the Democratic Party, we're still not having the right conversation. It seems like it seems like the proposals being put forward are still sort of negotiating with the crisis, like trying to find that that sweet bare minimum that you can do that's going to save our save us from from catastrophe. And like that's not what we should we should not be thinking in what's the least we can do. Right now, we, we, the, the thought process that we need to be in is what is the most, what is the, what is, how much can we do? Like, not, not how little. I, I, yeah. And the idea that, you know, we have the leader of the Democrat. I mean, Pelosi is really the de facto leader of the party now until, unless Biden wins, I think it's Pelosi. And she's there mocking 
AOC and everyone calling it the green dream or whatever the crap. Right. Like how and it's like, dude, no, no, no. Like you're, you're 80 something. Like get the fuck out and let the young people lead because they're the people and we are the people who are going to be on this planet when we hit that fucking catastrophic point. Right. She's, it's she's like, not going to be here. Neither is Joe Biden. Who's no, and the thing is, I just don't know why they don't care about their fucking grandchildren. Like, wh- what is wrong with these people? Well, I don't think they... I, I think they think that it'll be a lot better than, than it is. Or maybe well, they probably believe in maybe. climate or carbon capture and all this, this bullshit that's well, not going to work. No, like, like, like Josh Fox told us in our interview with him, even Obama signed on to um, open up fracking because because it, it created jobs. Right. Yeah, and I love how remember in 08 that that was his main issue was was climate change. That was his he ran on green jobs and all this. And then he goes in there and he 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 grants us uh oil export uh he, privileges. He, he, he thought he it would he thought it would it was a quick way to get the jobs numbers up to yeah, open that's up. That's fucking pathetic. I'm Here, sorry. Like Here's here's the reality. Here's the reality. We don't we probably will not contain this crisis. We probably don't have adequate technology to continue to to address climate change and also maintain civilization as we know it. Like the the way that we exist in the world today, where, where our power consumption, our you know, like we do have the technology to go to go green, but we can't do it and maintain the lifestyles that we all lead. And that's, that's why we're not doing it. And I think that the consumption culture that, you know, we've talked about before and that we're in, uh, makes it very hard for people to adjust their expectations and to, to be willing to change their lifestyles. Right. Um, we're so dependent on, uh, this, this carbon economy and all the sort of, uh, luxury that it affords us that the idea of changing our lifestyle is impossible. And so therefore, yes, we want these magical technologies that will erase the damage that we've done, which right. are not going to work. Nope. And, and neither will, by the way, carbon taxes. You know, you get liberals who are like, oh, we got to we gotta do a carbon tax like Macron. But like, not only are carbon taxes regressive, they don't have an enforcement mechanism. And there's, there's no international agreement on price of carbon. And it seems unlikely that we'll ever have an international agreement on the price of carbon because industrialized nations will disagree with developing nations. And it doesn't really seem very fair for industrialized nations to be like, you can't take the easy easy path that we took you know now you have to rely on sort of untested and untested but also look that basically that's like a market reform like it doesn't work you're still admit like the biggest companies are going to have enough money to pay the tax and they're still going to be polluting like that's not like on paper it actually won't reduce any any pollution at all i mean that's just a, a sort of like willful uh, ignorance about like whether or not these companies are really going to even respond to the tax. Right. And, and look, you have cap and trade as well, but there's, again, you have problems with enforcement, uh, carbon capture and sequestration. You st- it's, it's new. It's expensive. It's not, it's not, doesn't, it, it's, it's still, the technology just isn't there. Um, even, even sequestration, you know, it's, it's, it would need a uh, an investment of five five yeah. to six look, billion dollars. The bottom a year. line is all all of these all of these you know uh, so called uh, uh, fixes st- do not. The problem is actual emitting of greenhouse gases. Yep. These don't stop the emission of the gases. Therefore, they're bullshit. Right, and and so that's and by twenty thirty five, it's going to be too late, and that's. That's the crazy, like, we're, we're, the, the, the 20, the, the most recent UN IPCC report gave us a 12 year timeline 
Like we, we are in serious trouble. I mean, and, and what is so frustrating, I think what it boils down to is that it's, it's not an issue of an advancement of technology. It's an issue of advancement of economics and culture and politics. Yeah. And so, you know, look, we face, we face all of these hurdles. Like we just don't, we can't keep living the way that we are. Um, and that's something that I don't think anybody, there's not a serious discussion in government and nobody wants to bring it up because nobody wants to lose elections. Nobody wants to be the person who stands up and tells Americans, you can't, you have to cut your meat consumption in half or you, you can't keep the lights on as, as, as much as you do, or you can only have X amount of like, that's some serious nanny state stuff that a lot of Americans are, will justifiably, you know, be, will balk at. But the problem is that the other side of that is the possible extinction of our species. And it, I'm not being hyperbolic. That is literally what we are facing. I, I, I do think everyone should take personal responsibility as far as they can. But at the same time, you, you could put the heads of companies um, that are responsible for upwards of 70% of the of, of the CO2 emissions or contribution to global warming in, in one big conference room. Oh, you know, you're, you're absolutely, look, you're absolutely right. But we consume the energy that they produce. We rely on the energy that they produce. So it's the lifestyles that we have rely on the energies that they produce. So yes, they are, and they've known about this and they haven't done anything and they're, it's criminal and they should be held accountable. Listen, the whole Exxon New thing, you know, uh, Inside Climate News and some other great publications exposed them for knowing in the 70s about uh, climate change. They haven't been prosecuted. No. They're not they in jail. Be. No one's in jail. It's just like f the fucking recession. It's just like the, the Wall Street crash. Like, none of them went to jail. We do not. Look, George Bush is a war criminal and Dick Cheney is. They're not in jail. Like, we don't prosecute the worst actors in our fucking like living memory we don't do that right it's amazing i saw a interview with john stewart recently and i didn't realize this but um he, he he had gone up to and asked like bernanke and a lot of the head uh geithner and a lot of the head honchos who were responsible for architecting the structure of the bailout why why not just make the mortgages whole why not give the money to the people who have the bad mortgages um so that they can they can pay back the banks and then all the mortgage backed securities will be right again because these mortgages are whole um and why not fix the crisis that way why why give money straight to the banks and they said well you know it would be a moral hazard if we gave the money to the people no, because it's supply side economics. You know, it, it's yeah. just the whole farce of supply side economics that, you know, the trickle down crap. I mean, that's what they do. It, it's, it's happening now too with the discussion over, okay, so the $600 extra for uh, unemployment is going to go away in a couple of weeks if there's not new legislation. So they're saying, I, I was in a little Twitter spat with some dumbass budget hawk guy, self identified budget hawk. Uh, and I told him to eat shit because he, 
I, I did because he had a whole thread about how the idea that people are some people in really low wage, shitty at will jobs, flipping burgers, or whatever, are actually making more money now staying at home than they were when they were wor- working for seven twenty five an hour with no benefits at will fucking job. And that is the problem. So, but his problem is no, they're actually making more money than they should be. And I said eat shit, and he 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 got all upset. And then I I, I can't I imagine why Alex. That's such a that's it's such a and, and you know no. So, so I read the article that he was he was linking to the he it was an op-ed in the Washington Post, and then he goes along about that, and he he proposed it's it's the most means-tested bullshit solutions I've ever heard. And at the very end of the article, he talks about oh the national debt, the fucking national debt. Like I'm like, are you kidding, dude? Like no one no one even pretends that that's an actual thing anymore that anyone cares about. But you, Mister Self-Identified Budget Hawk, Vice President of Policy at some dumb think tank, are worried about the fucking national debt during a once-in-a-century pandemic. This sounds like something is boiling Alex's ass. That's definitely been boiling my ass. <laughs> but look, the the reality is that people in government don't want people don't want everybody else. Uh, you know, to give away, they don't want people to have things that they don't feel deserve because it doesn't it doesn't play well with their constituents or whatever bullshit reason. But the thing is, this crisis is going to require people to come together in a way that we never have in our entire history. It requires a global answer. It requires major redistribution of wealth, and it requires the fucking death of carbon capitalism. For the love of God. It needs to it, kill it with fire. If we don't kill it with fire, the planet will. But listen, and I'm going to say, like, I've, I say this all the time on Twitter and stuff, but it's like, the socialists will be proven right. And just today, at one of the most anti-Bernie talking heads on the planet, Joanne Reed basically admitted that, yes, there's no rational reason why we shouldn't have Medicare for all right now. Seeing that 5.4 million Americans, probably more now, lost their health insurance because it was tied to their employer and they lost their job, Joanne fucking Reed said, okay, I, I see it now. Now, she is one of the main instigators well, of Bernie Sanders. She also said Sanders that in 2017. Downfall. She said, I'm oh, okay. a single player. Well, but- maybe she's just playing, you know, like trying to, trying to get a little cred with the progressives again. But the point is, like, it is indisputable that Medicare for All, or Medicaid for All, honestly, which would be better than Medicare for All. I, I, Medicaid is a better program, I think. Um, regardless, you know, a single-payer universal healthcare system is the only rational thing for us to do. Every other Western country has it already. Uh, and, and this is what people, you know, leftists have been saying since before, you know, Bernie Sanders even got into the 2016 race. And so I'm saying with climate, it is going to be the same thing. Like people are going to say all these centrist assholes in a couple of years are going to say, oh, AOC, Ed Markey, they were right. We should have done the Green New Deal like a decade ago. And right. fuck, you know, we yeah, didn't and, do and it. This is, and the Green New Deal is fucking conservative. It is conservative in its scale, considering the scale, the scope of the problem that, that it's trying to address, because it's not just the U.S. It's going to take a global solution, which means that it's going to require heavy investment in clean energy in developing countries, especially in Latin America. Yeah. And I, th- I mean, I think I, I haven't read the whole New Deal yet, but like, I, I think it's, it's kind of taking an approach of like the U.S., is I guess still a, a global leader, even though under Trump that that's really <laughs> come under major question. So like lead by example kind of thing. Like if we can really uh, drastically change our situation in the U.S., other countries may follow, which I think is like pretty pr- probably accurate. 
I don't think I don't even think AOC would disagree with that assessment that it's that it's. Oh it's yeah, a no. Start, I mean, she's working. Not- she is a member of Congress. She has to like work within that system. Right, and it's it's re- it's what it's what it's what she can do. But like the fact that they're balking about that, they're trying to negotiate with fucking extinction, and that's the part that just you know what, Alex, this is what boils my ass. What boils Walker's ass? They are negotiating with our extinction as a species. It's, it's not, it's not up for negotiation. We yeah. either make these changes or we fucking die. And none of this matters. None of it. None of this shit will matter if humanity does not survive through the next 200 years. I, I think the bottom line is th- this existential crisis cannot be solved under the same economic, cultural, and uh, political paradigms that created it. And maybe we should start to rethink those things. That concludes part one of our examination of the climate threat. How bad is it, and how do we cope with it? Stay tuned for next week's episode, where we delve into Roy Cranston's philosophical approach for accepting the imminent end of our civilization. Audio editing by Alex Koch. Original theme music by Direwolf.